You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today we talk to Carl Silbeski, the previous CEO at Bimobjekt. Get your company in order. Be as transparent from day one as you can be with all your shareholders. And thirdly, and most importantly, build a great company. You want to build a long-term risk. You want to be the company that's just been delivering for the last 15 years. Hello and welcome to another episode here of the podcast and I hope you're well. We have a really interesting session coming up for you. It's a little bit of a personal story related to what it means to be a public listed company. And if you're like me, you probably always wondered, like, do they sit there in closed rooms and talk about this is what the stock price should be in the next couple of months or not? Well, tune in and hopefully we'll find out. Here we go. Today, we are very happy to have Carl Silberski that just stepped down as uh, the CEO at BIM Object here as a guest in the podcast. So welcome, Carl. Nice to have you here. Thank you very much. Great to be here. It's great to have you here. And I always say this, you know, extra shout out to uh, CEOs that are part of our CEO network. So we know you a little bit from the SAS Nordic CEO network. But there might be people listening to this that don't know Carl. So give us the short story. Who's Carl? <laughs> Thank you very much. Great to meet you, both Daniel and Thomas. <clears throat> so my, uh, the, the short version, I guess, is that I re- just recently stepped down as the CEO of BIM Object. Um, the longer version is, I guess, I grew up a couple of cornfields south of Malmö, went and, and had a kind of a time as a management consultant and ended up in a company and on the entrepreneur side and kind of an entrepreneurial journey <clears throat> for um, building companies, primarily in the tech space. Okay. And was convinced to come and join a BIM Object close to four years ago and led that company up uh, since 2019. All right. That was a semi-long version. How about that? <laughs> it's great. <Exactly. laughs> Uh, and if you want to hear the even longer version, you should uh, grab a uh, call for, for a beer sometime. You can hear the really long version. Right? <laughs> I don't think anybody can stand that. So that's a, a <laughs> All right. But anyway, you spoke about Beam Object here. So can you explain what does Beam Object do and, and what's the business idea behind it? Yeah, it's, it's a great. And first of all, I used to say that BIM is not really dinner conversation starter. You know, it's a three letter word. It's. It's the world we live in. This is a SaaS podcast, and we lose a lot of acronyms, but I will try to make it as simple as possible. BIM originally <clears throat> is, um, is a methodology for uh, architects and engineers around the world. When they do uh, building construction, they, <clears throat> they draw on... We used to be, Thomas and Daniel, when we were small, we used to do it on paper. Right. Okay. That evolved. <laughs> that tells <laughs> us how old we are, I guess. But, and that evolved into a computer, uh, computer-aided design. It was called CAD. Perhaps you remember that, heard that word. Yep, sure. And then the world got around to say, what's the process for building when you do have constructions, digital constructions? And uh, that's really building information, modeling. That's BIM. And what does that mean? It means that <clears throat> if I'm going to do, for example, a kitchen, like every building construction has a kitchen more or less, I'm going to go and find, do a 
an oven, uh, cabinets, etc. You can use those pre-made models. They call like BIM models. Okay. You can go and download them uh, and use them. You don't need to draw up a whole kitchen by yourself on uh, on your computer. You can actually go, go and use objects, smaller objects like an oven, kitchen, uh, windows, floors, etc. And all those. So what Bimovit does is that it's just a platform that hosts millions of these objects and makes it easier for architects and engineers to design. Uh, when they do construction. So, and the great thing about it versus CAD, we talked about two seconds ago, is that in CAD, <clears throat> it's basically just geometry. You know, it's just something. In, in BIM, it's geometry. It's called parametric models. But you also infuse a bit of data into that to so say that what is a door? What is the value? You know, is it a strong door, thick door, a security door? Right. What is the what's the insulation in that door in besides etc. It has all the components into it, so you can know when you add that along with the wall how it fits with the wall and also how it will function in reality when you do the buildings. Yeah. So as a manufacturer or designer, can you sort of add in? Maybe we shouldn't call it selling information, but you know, information that when, when you browse around what kind of doors there are that makes their door extra appealing or Yeah, basically you can do that. I mean a lot of like for example, you, we're talking about doors now, but specifically you do let's say that you're designing a house and you want an a specific type of door with a specific type of features into it. And if you happen to be a manufacturer and you happen to have that kind of rule, you want to express that to the architects and engineer. Okay. And where does BIM Object fit into all of this? So we use the platform. We host all these objects. So we have on one side of the platform, we have millions of architects and engineers all across the world who come and say, well, you know, I'm going to do use a door, for example, uh, or window or whatever to my construction. They come and download those objects from our site and use them in their digital construction model. And on the other side, you have the manufacturers uh, that want to sell their doors or windows or tiles, and they add their products to the BIM Object platform okay. uh, in, in, in what we call BIM Objects. And we help them design and make those BIM Objects appealing. Yeah, and why do they do that in your platform? Why don't they upload it somewhere else? Or maybe they do. How, how did you become a hub for this? Yeah, it's a bit basically like you see any other platform or uh, listings that you have in, in Sweden. We have Blocket or, or other. We sell and buy things. You're normally there because a lot of other things are there. There's a lot of inventory on the platform. And BIM just happens to be the largest uh, with both inventory and number of users. Okay. So it's a kind of flywheel of growth. The more inventory you have in the forms of BIM objects, the more users come to your platform. And the more users, the more they download objects. And so they take the use of downloads. And the more downloads you have, the more interested the manufacturers are to add more of the objects to the platform. Yeah, and you got a good name as well. Sort of, you, you claimed the name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit, uh, yeah, a bit of Coca-Cola situation there. Yeah. yeah. So, so which one of these parties do you actually charge? Like, who, who pays the bills? Yeah. <clears throat> so we charge for the manufacturers on that side. So that's, of course, a much smaller group. I mean, if you, the number of manufacturers, of course, very, very limited versus the number of architects, which are millions and millions of them. Right. So, but we, uh, Bimobit has approximately 2,000 brands on the platform. And every brand could have, you know, one, between one and a thousand products on platform. Yeah, right. I've actually used it. So I've downloaded BIM objects and I've put them into a virtual environment and then, you know, use them, hold them, 
change the size of them in a virtual reality environment with my Oculus Quest on, on an after party on a previous employer. Very good. I, I have to ask you then, Carl, like if there's many more architects and it sounds like you're, you're helping them here, shortcuts, they don't have to reinvent the wheel, they can use these ready-made objects. Why not charge them? That's a good question. But if you, <clears throat> if you look on uh, sell and buy sites uh, around the world, it's, if you start charging people on, in Sweden, we have Blocket or around the world, you have Craigslist or Avito or whatever. If you would start charging a user a dollar to come onto Blocket, you wouldn't have any traffic, would you? Right. And if you don't have traffic, then suddenly all the inventory is going to disappear overnight because there's no traffic. I mean, you can't get sell, sell anything. You can't sell anything. So it kind of works the same way. But, and I say it is a big but, <clears throat> we are more than just selling and buying. We are actually technology. We help them get insights. That's what I want to get to. Yeah. So yeah. So we we kind of <clears throat> the big and a lot of people have asked me this. Um, why don't you charge a dollar for user? Because then we all go away. Uh, they just we we. When you, we, we the, the model from the start was open for users. It's hard to reverse that. Yeah. But uh, as the, we put a lot of investment in technology at BIM Objects, and and when that material, uh, technology is maturing, we're helping and aiding the architects in many different ways. And there is an opportunity going ahead in the future to charge, but in different way we're thinking about it. It's like let's say that you have a project, Thomas, or I know you're using BIM Objects then. And or, or you, Daniel, you have a house. And one thing that you can use the components from BIM object to draw the house and, and build that house. The one thing that you're going to be sure about in the future is going to be, is this going to be a sustainable house? Like, is this going to be meeting the requirements for environmental requirements? And here we can help, BIM object can help you again and say, we can really help you to calculate the CO2 emission of your new building. And that means that we can charge in the process of, of the project. All right. So there's a little opportunity going ahead, but it's not the simple answer is always like, I charge a dollar. You have three million users. Yeah. All right. So so now I hope that everyone uh, understand what BIM is and a, a little bit about the business model uh, around it. But what can you say about the size of an operation? How, how big a company are you? I, I don't want to step on any toes here. I said earlier, I, like, I just stepped away as CEO of BIM Object, even if my heart and soul is very much attached to the company. Uh, but I can say that the company size of uh, in terms of ARR or in terms of employees. What is your question there? Let's do both. Both. Okay. But approximately 160 people in the market. Um, maybe closer to 150. I should be honest. So 10 left when when you uh, stepped down. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, no. It's actually a bit less than that because we just outsourced part of the as well. So it's going to be coming closer to 130 people or something like that. Okay. Because we outsourced the part part there. Uh, but the ARR, which is, you know, um, everybody in this podcast knows about, is, is north of 100 million. I don't want to comment on it since we're actually in a silent period right now. The company is reporting the Q4 in, I guess, in a couple of weeks. So. Yeah, and you work on a global market, right? You're not limited to, to the Nordics or anything like that. Correct. We work on a global okay. market. Yeah. Cool. And... Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about what it is to be a listed SaaS company because you're on a stock exchange. I don't know how it works. What? How did it work before? Did you have VC backing or what was the initial fu initial funding of the company? Yeah, so the company is founded in 2011 by, uh, by a guy named Stefan Larsson, um, who's been working in this space for a long time. Uh, he took it public uh, and I guess that was... 
uh, he wasn't very familiar with VCs, I guess, back then. And so he took it public straight away. And okay. So I think 2014 took it public. And the company, like, was it a SaaS company or not? That's a big, good question. Because, yes, there was recurring revenue coming in from the manufacturers. But the vast majority of the revenue, even when I joined the company, was actually coming in from consultancy services, like services where we helped build this BIM model object. So it's a little bit debatable about that. But back then, in 2014, I don't think they made a distinction between the revenue. No, nobody cared. This is revenue. Oh, here we go. Here's revenue. It's money coming in. It's money coming in. And, and again, today, it is a lot of people have a hard time understanding that. Uh, what do you mean SaaS? Uh, you know, what is that? So, but back then it was, uh, and when I, I, then I, Stefan was running the company back in, until 2018. And I joined December 2018 as head of M&A. How much did you know about SaaS when you joined? I knew a fair bit. <clears throat> yeah? I knew, uh, yeah, I knew a lot, I should say. I, I, partly because I have been operating space and investing myself. Okay. And also uh, seeing friends, building companies. Uh, friend on this podcast, one of better friends, Emil Efrem. Yeah. Who's built his A4J, so... Seeing that growing and talking through all the issues you can have with <laughs> SaaS companies with him. Do you know the, the, the story about Thomas and Emil and Frame on a side note, very short? No. No, I, I mean, I think it was maybe 2003, something like that. We were both working at the same sort of corridor of very small companies. It was uh, at Stortariet in Lund. Mm. And we were actually the big company because we were like four or five people. And they were two guys in the end of the hall sitting and working with some kind of, you know, graph database, picture database solution. Uh, and so on. I, I remember that he drew sort of this kind of graph like uh, system and so on. And uh, yeah, we understood that they were really smart and, and he was sort of on the cover of magazines about web services and I had on my to-do to ask him to learn me everything about web services, but yeah, never did it. So, uh, yeah. So he, he went on to build, a, I don't know, double, triple unicorn and Thomas, hey, you're you're hanging out here with us at SAS Nordic. I'm stuck here with you. <laughs> yeah, well, it looked, everything looks different back then. I met uh, Emil, now we talk about Emil, but that's a good, we can talk about that. He's a fantastic character. I met him in, this, in the corner when there were four people oh okay there you go did you by chance invest in them already then yeah i was supposed to bridge their funding actually so uh, but this is after the first time i met him he was um, i mean he was just i mean a guy was pushing this graph database and the co-founders referred to thomas there was you one yeah exactly co-founder fantastic brilliant people and and it's um I think he just received his first VC funding then and was kind of off to the starts. And this is in 28, 20, so this must be in 29, 2009. So this is a couple of years after. So you can imagine that push from two guys in 2003 when you met him yeah. to 2009 when you really have, he's gone through all the roller coasters of funding and having not funding and all that all those years and I mean still today it's still even it sounds really crazy you heard about and you said the unicorn triple it's still early days of graph database yeah. it sounds crazy to say it. right and I can say the same I mean, it's, uh, for BIM it started in 2011 by Stefan and it just to connect on to that one how long things takes yeah it's in 2022 uh, 
uh, you would say, oh, it's a mature company, it's been in the stock market, hundred million. It's we're an industry that's the least digitalized industry in the world. It's just 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 a little more digitalized than agriculture and hunting. Yeah. So the construction industry hasn't even moved on digitalization. I mean, it's just so much to be done going ahead of you. That's hard to comprehend. You're going like, oh, it's so mature. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I've seen this happen a couple of times in my life. And it's I, I remember in that corridor, going back to what I just said when I met Emil, I was running a company called Polar Rose okay. uh, at the time. It's just a really small, small company, technology space. And my idea was that this was a company that had great technology. And my idea was like, I think pictures on the internet is going to explode. And discussion we had, hasn't it already exploded? And it was like, yeah, 600 million pictures are like digital photos had Facebook accumulated to the date yeah. in 2009. And the discussion was like, well, it's already has happened. And 600 million, that's probably what they do today yeah. in like in one day. Probably. Or I think in one hour, I would say. In your head, you had the next Instagram or the first Instagram. Or the Snapchat. <laughs> but, I, I, but I'm saying that like sometimes you pair like 600 million pictures on the internet, like it has to be. That has to be it. And it's just given that oh, this is what they do in two hours today or whatever. Like, that, that, that's the beauty with our industry, uh, that there's so, so much happening so fast. But uh, obviously, you were well-versed in, in the space, in the, in the SaaS business and so on. And you jump on BIM Object yeah. as, uh, as a CEO, and, and you take over this already listed company. Mm. And that's a little bit what we want to talk about today. Like, what does it actually mean to be a listed SaaS company? Like, you know, when you walk in, like, you know, it's like, here's what you need to worry about, Carl. I joined a company in, in uh, I was kind of convinced to come along. AQT has invested into BIMO in 2008. Okay. Around. And they tried to convince me to come along and do M&A for BIM Object to, to acquire uh, competitors, which was a, or Another word for it, like doing uh, inorganic growth, so to say, acquire companies. Pretty, pretty hot. Right. It used to be hot list. And um, I came along, and uh, five days after I joined, Stefan Larsson, who was the founder, he kind of hit the wall, as you say in Swedish. I mean, he was kind of burnt out many years and, and, and kind of had to step away. And it was a very turbulent time. And can you imagine? I just haven't witnessed that before in my life. When a founder and a CEO steps away, I mean, a lot of shareholders have backed him. So that kind of imploded and there was a new, uh, uh, the chairman became the CEO and there was turbulence and you started to dig through the company. You're finding one this and that and this is not correct. And, you know, you build a company. It's not really, you do it in one way and then you, it matures. <clears throat> so this was kind of, Pretty immature company, you can say, in many aspects. And I saw witnessed that firsthand and saw, oh my God, this is dynamic. Because you and me, Daniel, if you run a SaaS company, non-private, if it's private, I mean, we don't care. At the end of the day, we don't know if it's valued at, you know, 1 billion or 1.5 or 800 million, you know. But the stock market, you get instant that. Every hour you get valued. So it's like... <laughs> At the first, you start looking at, oh, my God, you know, what's the market? Then you, you realize all the time, hey, well, it's only five people trading, really. Well, why do I care? It's, or not five, but, you know, it's a couple of hundred thousand shares traded. So it's not really a big deal. But it becomes emotional because you can see it every day on your price. So that was one of my big reflections. <clears throat> then the company went through a massive turbulent time. They hired a CEO. They fired a CEO. 
And they were so desperate. I used to joke about this. They're so desperate. They asked me to become the CEO. And then I said, well, you know, now you're at really at the bottom here of the barrel of digging out my name. Uh, and one, one thing <clears throat> I say, give you the background of the company. In 2009, I became the CEO. 2019, sorry about that. In 2019, I became the CEO. The company had 50% um, of the revenue was non-recurring. Right. So professional services of some kind. Professional services. We had approximately close to a million of users, uh, of architects and engineers. The company was backing, um, losing uh, double the amount of what it brought in, in cash. So it was just pouring out cash. Loss-making machine. Huge loss-making machine. I didn't know that was a thing, but you can, you can be a machine of all kinds, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. What, what is costing you so much money? At the time, during those times, it was everything was costing. It was just over-recruitment everywhere. And it was just the go-to-the-moon kind of, you know, don't worry about the money, just burn it. And, and, and the third was that <clears throat> the company had about eight or nine months left as a publicly company of cash in the bank. So it's kind of, hey, why don't you want to, would you want to be CEO of this company, Carl? Oh, so, so you want, okay, so, so let me think here. This is a company in, in need of a massive transformation since it's not really a SaaS company. It hasn't got a product market fit since we're burning so much money. Obviously, we need to do something about that. And thirdly, I need, as a new CEO on the stock market, who never been on the stock market before, need to go out and raise money. And to top that off, hey, by the way, it's COVID is happening. Don't worry about that. <laughs> it's like a perfect storm here of things coming my way. And then I just point, I said, well, my, but my take on it, why did I want to become CEO? I thought when I looked at it, a lot of people said, well, it's really cool technology, blah, blah, blah. It's really happening, disruptive, all that. For me, my perspective was that this is a company that has a great technology, but it's impacting a massive industry. And that massive industry is construction. 39% of all C2 emissions in the world comes from construction. And few companies, and I know Daniel Thomas, you know tons of great companies, but I will say this, few companies can really have an impact on scale. Really have an impact. And you mean like you talk about a global impact, making the world a better place. Yeah, impact. Impact like for your children, yeah. yours and mine yeah. children. Like the impacts are like company that can help architects and engineers design build buildings to lower the CO2 emission the usage of carbon emission, uh, to do, because we pollute so much in construction using concrete, steel, etc. So, but but designing digitally better, you can remove a lot of that. And Bimobit, from my perspective, I saw it as this is a company that had a massive impact, and that was a major part of my transformation. I said this in my first call. It's like this company transform, and for many people, it's like yeah, but I like the technology. It's like yes, but it's what we can do with this technology that's interesting. Okay. And I still find that very, very, very great to have, because there's a bigger mission here now, uh, suddenly, for this company. Mm. And uh, that's great. Uh, that attracted me to the company. I said, like, this company deserves, well, it's done a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of things not right here, but it deserves a chance for the future. And we're just made different in this region. If you're from Skåne, like, you know, nothing scares us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we, do, we, we don't shy away from anything. But I, I know that you have thought about this, um, about being a listed SaaS company versus a non-listed. What, what are the differences, um, would you say, when you talk to people in operating uh, the business and so on? 
Um, first, of all, how you speak as a listed company, you you cannot be transparent enough, uh, and you cannot actually also reveal all the numbers that you want to do. So I come from you, me, Daniel, and Thomas. We used to just having all the numbers of a company, and, and you know, <clears throat> if I'm asked to invest in a company, I just say, well, you send me over all you have, the data I have, and I have a look at it. You know, and you can't do that in public listed company because then you have to reveal to everyone. And that's also danger because you haven't, people don't want to spend enough time on like drilling down on a company. They want to give me the easy answers. So what happens in a lot of public companies, and I've noticed this, and I think it goes for every public company. Um, uh, and I've, I've seen a lot of examples on this. Is that there's a lie that starts, not as a lie, it just starts as something like, you know, uh, how many users do you have? And and, and this is a typical kind of classic uh, SaaS company question. In the early days, you just, just reveal how many users you had accumulated. You know, I have 100,000 users. Then after time, after five years, it's like you start accumulating it. And if you're a public listed company, you keep pushing that number because everybody's asking, how's the accumulated numbers going? And it's not really interesting. The numbers of the monthly active users, is that what you really care about? Like, how many people are using your services on a monthly basis? But when you suddenly say, oh, well, I got 100,000 users, and you say, well, but hang on a second, let's talk about the monthly active users. You say, well, we only have, we, you know, we have, uh, let's say that we have 50,000 monthly. What? 50? When you told me you have 100,000. Well, 50 of them. So that little, no, it wasn't, but the, the truth, you can't reverse it because you know the reaction of the market could be so negative to the company. And I felt that, and that I've seen in a lot of companies. And we had a we have a camera company in Lund that was talking about all the uh, all the like partnership they had. But the partnership of that camera company was you went to site and said, "Hey, I want to be a partner. You register as one." Well, if you have ninety thousand of those who single person is registered as a partner, you really don't have ninety thousand partners. Right. So, but you can't then say, "Well, we only have five real partners." You can't say that. So. I've seen a lot of those lies, but it's nothing intentful of the company. It's just hard to reverse them after a while. Yeah. It's part of that. And that's what I'm talking about. It's so hard as a public listed company to be completely, completely transparent. Yeah. Because that means that you have to have an adult person who takes the information and digests it in an understandable way and say, ah, I get what this company is doing. And that's not how the problem The problem wants. Give me headline, call. Just give me headline. Right. So, so, so communication is key. You know the the frequency, how you reveal it, and so on. And how you explain things simple. Right. You need to simplify, 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 simplify. And I guess that goes with anything, but it's right. And and if you take that communication aspect, that it's so key to get right. Yeah. Co- compared to uh, some of the other CEOs that you're, you're you're sparring with and so on, that might might not be public. What difference does that make internally to an organization? Do you have to have like a, a head of a, a PR or whatever it's called if you're a public company? Is there, is there no, you don't. I mean, I guess it's still the CEO to, to communicate. Right. And that you can always communicate more and better and all that. <clears throat> you don't need to have that, but you need to have really, really great control of your financials. You need to have that in excellent order. Compliance is, of course, very, very important. Uh, you need to comply with all the rules and regulatories. That's just AO for being a stop because people are putting a trust into your company. So you need to be compliant with every regulatory requirements there is on the market. Right. And 
that means sometimes that you just have to give away information that you you feel like, well, I need to add more to this information, but I can't. Three ways to fail in sales, brought to you by Memory. One, clog your pipeline. The fuller it is, the fuller you'll feel. Tip two, never use a plan. Predictability, eh, that's just boring. Three, forget the CRM, probably sucks anyway. If you're ready to take control of your sales and make how you sell your competitive advantage, try Membrane for free today at Membrane.com. So as a public listed company, I mean, anyone could choose to buy stock, right? And you are one of many, many options that people can invest in. So has it been easy to explain to the market how a SaaS company works and you know how you look at revenue in a SaaS company and so on? What, what challenges have you have you seen in that area? Yeah, so this is a layered question in in many aspects. Like, who am I talking to? Am I talking to uh, analysts in New York just following SaaS company uh, on the mid cap markets in Europe? Or am I talking to a general investor? Or am I talking to the individual? Just you and me. Just like, you know, non-professional users. So this is very, <clears throat> depending on who, of the maturity of that, but my general reflection then is that we talk about SaaS here. And that is, SaaS is, first of all, again, uh, terminology, and, and we talk about that. And, but there's so many things you need to understand when you're a SaaS company. ARR. ACV, or ARPA, your CAC, I mean, all of those things that comes natural to you, to you guys. But you, you, don't, you don't have that room to explain all that in a dynamic model to an individual person. And that is also that the market is not really mature about those things. They care about what's your revenue, basically. But what's your single line when you explain this to someone? really easy instead of using all of this term what, what do you say i say that <clears throat> we are the largest when you when i explain my company or 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 the model or the financial models uh, which one are you thinking about there i'm referring to for instance the arr model i just say we have um, 100 plus million in recurring revenue and that means in other words subscription i say subscription money coming in so we know that every year we have that. We, we lose some of that every year, and we renew that some of that. So we should be growing. And then we also, on top of that one, we have approximately 20% more additional revenue that comes from consultancy services. That kind of explains it, the business, in a very, very light way. But that's also very light, because then you get all the interest, like, what's the NRR? What's happening here? But yeah. this is a really good question. I think a lot of people are struggling. I'm speaking to a lot of people about this. The, the, we are listed on First North in Sweden which is a smaller stock exchange. We're not that big in, in revenue. And I, I think it's a, there is a complexity of explaining that on that listing. So I would suggest that you need to have higher revenue and more sophisticated um, institutional followers in many areas. We have some great, fantastic investors in our company, but in general, you need to have an analyst following Volvo. It's not really equipped to follow your company, to understand your companies completely. So you need to, um, you need to put that in mind. And, and that means that you, as a company in Sweden, 
if you're uh, like Fort Knox, which is a big company now, they still have to explain their model to a lot of people. And I think still that company is very much undervalued, for example, because not, not like a lot of people understand it today. But for many, many years, it was very understated. It was very, very not understood. Like, what does it mean? You know, the revenue is not that high, but it's recurring. I've always wondered, there's, there's, there's a handful of questions I might have for you, Carl, and, you know, answer them to whatever extent you, you can and feel comfortable with. But like, if I go from a, a non-public to a publicly traded company, if you would be to give me like that one leading KPI, that one metric that is the most important for the public market, that one that they judge you the most by, which one would that be? I mean, it, it is today, it is the growth of your recurring revenue. That's how they measure you. Right. Secondly to that, today in this market, profitability. Right. And maybe it's reverse today. Maybe it's more profitability and secondly, your growth, I would say. Right. And, and to that point, you know, to be a public listed company, so we know what it is to be a non-listed company and the VCs and growth funds, they have certain metrics. You need to grow ARR by X percent to be, you know, top performer. Your NDR needs to be a certain percentage and so on. What does the public market expect when, when you list where you guys listed? What are their expectations? Like how fast should you actually grow? I guess that the expectations are kind of similar. You can always grow more. <laughs> That's the expectation. Mm-hmm. But if you're growing, um, but again, if you normally used in the VC world as a rule of 40, it's kind of, we use that rule and, and rule of 40 is a great thing. Right. The market wouldn't buy that. I think that the best case, you're break even or making money and growing 20%. I think that's fine. That's great in the in stock market. If you're growing 20% and making some money, you're a great company. Yeah. I love that you, you, you came to that conclusion because this leads to my main question. <laughs> Should you go public if you're not close or to be a profitable company in the next 6 to 12 months? Is that even an option then if you're burning money? I mean, today it's difficult to be publicly listed company uh, if you're burning money, I would say, um, because the market is how it is in the outlook. But I would say this, um, if you take a longer horizon, if you have a company, like we've seen many companies on, on the stock exchange, you know, Fort Knox was one we talked about, but there are many great, fine, beautiful companies. I think it's something beautiful that not just VCs can be part of this growth journey they're doing. Actually, you and me can invest into them. If we understand them and do the work, we can invest in them and be part of that massive growth journey. Right. So that's creating a lot of wealth for an audience that would not be included otherwise, that wouldn't have the opportunity to invest. So for me, it's, yes, of course, it's two-sided thing. It's one side, it's should you really be there before you have everything under control, before you're a really set company? Perhaps not. But on the other hand, it's like, well, this could be wealth creation for many people. And that would be a beautiful thing for me and my eyes. Right. Well, I have a personal story here that Thomas, Thomas knows it really well. Like I jumped on, uh, no names mentioned, a Norwegian ed tech company uh, at its freaking peak. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just sold it off uh, actually last week. And um, well, there goes my kids' college funds. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Good that the education is free in, in Sweden. Yeah, ex- exactly. But you should have kept on to it. I mean, I, I don't know the company specifically, but it's it's a lot of business. You know, there's ups and downs and, and you know, uh, BMOB, certainly we had a really, really negative thing. Right. And 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 the, so this is, like, like example, when I joined the company, the company had, you know, less than 50% of our revenue was re- recurring, really. Right. And we had a million users on the platform. 
we had, um, <clears throat> I mean, we had a lower gross margin, much, much lower gross margin we have today. And a lot of other things, you know, it wasn't really set up for growth. It wasn't really a SaaS company. I mean, today we live in a company, 85% of our revenue, 80 plus percent of our revenue is recurring. Um, uh, we're north of 100 million uh, ARR. Yeah. Uh, we are, <clears throat> we are half the loss. Yeah. We did much, much more than that. Closing into this path to break even there. And the, we have 3 million, 3.5 million users. That's really well done. That's really well done. Yeah, but that's the, the, the worst thing about it. The company then was probably worth 4x more. So just the market timing of it. Just says what was the market dynamics back in 2019. Right. It was very different. I mean, that's when people were just investing, like, like you said, Dan, you invested into this company because you heard a rumor and you got into it. It's a very FOMO yeah. thing around this company. I listened, so. to, I listened to somebody on a podcast saying, like, this is the next big thing. I was like, yes, this is the next big thing. Yeah. Hey, but but, spe- but turn out not, at least not right now. Uh, I have one, uh, uh, if you can give us a quick answer on this one. I've always wondered, I have no idea, maybe this is a stupid question, but mm. when you sit there with your, with your board and your main owners is there ever a discussion being like hey we'd like the stock price to be if it's you know ten dollars now we'd like to see it at 15 at the end of the year does that ever happen is, is that like a thing does it ever happen that's all that happens when you speak <laughs> <on images. laughs> yeah no I do one, one thing a beautiful thing about uh, I, I give you some example I, I got i used to get tons of emails uh, around this <clears throat> when i see you and i answer them all I used to answer every every email. Somebody called me, I would answer because it's. I felt like this is my obligation. I'm the CEO. Because because it's one thing to say like we want the revenue to be from a, go from X to to Y and uh, whatever it is that they are the main metrics. Like yeah, that's more of a board discussion. You go yeah, like, exactly. But but then there's this thing like that doesn't always like you said correlate with the stock price. No so no I, no. So it's separate. And and this is the thing when I took over, there was. A, I was CEO and, and I said, well, this is a transformation company. We need to do a transformation, pretty large transformation. We need to become a SaaS company, first of all, like 80% of our revenue is to be recurring. We need to grow our, like get the flywheel of growth moving, growing our user base more in order to just have a dominant position in the world, increase our gross margin and, and all that. And we need to invest into our platform, et cetera, et cetera. And we need to raise capital. And <clears throat> I got a lot of angry investors back then who said to me, why don't you press release more? Because they know that when you start press releasing more, you are actually pressing up the stock. It's easy to do that. It's, it's, but it's true. It's very true. It's like the more I get visible in media, and you see this with larger, um, you know, real estate owners that you see a lot of them. The more they're visible in media, people just buy them instinct, buy those shares. That's how it works. So the more visible you are, and I said that I don't want to be visible now because I want to fix this company. Once we fix this company, we go visible. We just go and talk and we do interviews and all that. But I got a lot of, lot of angry shareholders telling me that. And I said, but take the longer perspective. And people are, of course, angry. They look, log into Advance. I go like, what is happening to this share? Don't press release. And I agree with them. That's my, one of my responsibilities to keep the shares up. And I agree with them. But at the same time, fixing a great company and then also hyping it in a negative market where it's like COVID, where it's like a war going on. I think my research is spent fixing the company. Yeah. But I... Can't argue with the individual person who wants me to hype the company more. 
But but besides all the angry emails, have you have you got a really funny email that you could share? Uh, I got a lot of great emails, but but uh, but uh, but I love I love when I just came on as the CEO. Um, um, I came on as CEO, and and you know, of course, a little bit like deer in the headlight, you know. Uh, Oh, the market is like, what's happening here? I get these emails, people are angry. But one of them, you ranked them, and one of them was a really successful um, guy at this running this uh, massive technology fund in Sweden, one of the large one actually in Europe. And he just emailed me super angry, going like, what the hell are you doing at BIM Object? <clears throat> uh, and, you know, kind of, and I said, yeah, sure. Oh, okay. Why don't, what can I do? Kind of explain to me. Uh, and he was like super upset and <clears throat> as he I said to him, what do I want to meet? He said, okay, we, we met up and uh, and I just went, so what do you want to know? <laughs> and the first question is like, I want to know what you really are doing. And the question, the, the thing is like, I just realized that the the, the company, they, well, how they sold in the company back in the early days was very different from today. So I had to kind of more or less start with whiteboarding this thing out. Okay. And that's how I started with a lot of like individual people. Just explained to them, we are a double-sided platform. This is what we do. This is what we do. And simplifying it. The advancement has gone from CAD to BIM. And there's a lot of people in the world that hasn't digitalized in the architecture world. That's what we're doing. And, you know, instead of saying like, you know, we're SaaS company, high growth, flying, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. He just wanted to understand the basic dynamics of the business. What makes us fly? Yeah. We can imagine that there's been a lot of uh, you know challenges with explaining BIM and SAS and probably other stuff as well. So uh, <laughs> good. Uh, but um, do you have any tips for companies that either are listed or are about to get listed? Things to think about. Maybe three good tips or something like that. Three good things. Tips. Get your company in order. I think that's what you always talk, and I think that's also a qualification to go public. You need to have a and have a compliance and regulatory requirements and all that in place, and and be a really great company. Uh, so, if you're going to be publicly listed, that's important. Secondly, be as transparent from day one as you can be with all your shareholders. And thirdly, and most importantly, build a great company. Just build a great company. Uh, and you win long term, not the short term race, but really you want to build a long term race. You want to be the company that's just been delivering for the last 15 years. Um, and, and, and a note for yourself, if you haven't done that, don't do a turnaround on the stock market. It is a massively headache. I promise you that. <laughs> uh, I've been there, done that. So, so. I don't know in what sense you can talk about the future for the company now, but uh, maybe we're going to ask you, what, what is the future for Carl? The future for me, uh, so I just stepped down a couple of weeks ago, I mean, it's two and a half weeks ago or something like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so many exciting things out there that I want to get myself involved into. And uh, there are, of course, exciting conversations going on. Um, but I really haven't set down my foot. Uh, I'm thinking I'm pushing that until 2023 January and, and decide then if we can. Okay. And but I, I definitely in this space, I think the SaaS space is continuously to model me, and I think this is a fantastic business model in all aspects. Uh, 
What is the best way if someone wants to get in touch with you? You can email me. Uh, you want to say uh, the address? Everybody, <laughs> everybody can find me at Rise, but uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I think that find me on LinkedIn. That's the best way. You know, Thomas, what just happened? Carl realized like these guys probably have like hundreds of thousands of listeners. My inbox. <laughs> no, can't I'm deal completely with that. transparent. <laughs> I used to list my number, my personal number, on the on the uh, in the company, so that people could call me. And there's how few people call call CEOs. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? You can call a person up and say, like, "What's happening here?" And I was happily to answer that call. But okay. Do you have any anyone that inspires you or anyone that you think we should have on the show here? Oh, many. I guess you want a local, homegrown Malmeet. I mean, that's always preferable, but... Uh, it, yeah. No, no, we're not like that. It doesn't have to be. The Nordics and the, uh, the, Nordics and the Baltics are big, but that, that gives you five countries. <laughs> or eight. Oh, sorry, eight. <laughs> yeah, eight. That's eight. True. We started out uh, <laughs> the, yeah, in the first batch with, with him, actually. You should, I mean, two, two people. Have you had Emil on the show? Has he been on the show? Yeah. A little bit, yeah. All right, good. So you've had that. That's a kind of big, big company. I think that, have you had uh, the investor side on, on, the, on the podcast? I recommend uh, Johan Svanström from EQT Ventures or TED. Really great people. Uh, Johan, I'm happy to make an introduction. I think he's great and, and very considerable to have him on the podcast and give his view on, on SaaS world. He sits on some interesting boards. Um, so I, I recommend him him very strongly. And also also some investors. I mean, I think Tin Fonda's investment company has just done tons of investment in the SaaS space. And Carl Armfeld or Eric Spinshorn, really great people. Just bring them on and give them the view. All unknowns to me. So, but uh, I, yeah, let, let's figure out who they are. Maybe you know all of them then. They're really great. I mean, they made the most investments in the North. They did run the largest tech fund in the in Northern Europe. Uh, so yeah. they're huge. Good for them. And and then I would say maybe a local one, Hampus, maybe Hampus Jakobsson, yeah. maybe on on the cool. podcast. Great. There you go. Plenty of names to pick from. Carl, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to joining us at the show. Much appreciated. And if anybody wants to talk, if you're listening to this and you want to talk more about going public or not and what to think about, you know where to find Carl on LinkedIn. Yeah, his number is 07. So Daniel, what are your main takeaways from, from this episode? Well, apparently they do sit and, and in closed rooms and talk about what the stock price <laughs> should be. <laughs> uh, so th that was interesting to, to hear. And, and uh, no, I think my main takeaways, and I've, we've heard it from other people as well. When you're a publicly listed company, there's another requirement on you as to how you communicate, what you communicate to the market. And uh, I, I think I would think twice about it, like, you know, get that right. Uh, because you will be punished if you miscommunicate you will be punished like Carl said every minute every day you can be punished what about you Thomas well I think it's important to um, also internally understand the value of the company and not you know being too fixated with the current stock price by but have pride in that you are building a great company and that you also focus on that when you speak about the value of the company internally. It's also important to understand that most of your investors, they are not SaaS professionals. They, they don't know all the lingo. Be prepared to be 
very clear and uh, pedagogic when, when it comes to explaining the business model and so on. And, and cross your fingers then people will understand. Uh, maybe they will not, but, but do your best. Right. Make sure you say the right things and make sure you don't say the things that are not relevant. Speaking about right things and relevant, uh, we're still open for CEOs to apply. So we have our CEO network, Thomas, and I know you've been working hard at it. Tell us a little bit more about what it's all about and where people can sign up. And I, I, I think that we differ from a lot of other CEO networks. So if you are curious to see what this can mean for you, you can head over to sasnodic.com. You can go to communities and CEO network and apply. Uh, it doesn't cost anything to apply and we will then book meetings with you and we will see if, if uh, it's a good fit. But uh, I think it can be a great opportunity if you want to have real feedback from peers uh, that are relevant from you. Only open to B2B SaaS companies, of course. Uh, and we also do the same thing for executives. So if you work as a VP or C-level responsible for a department uh, similar, uh, we have nine groups that, um, that spans from everything, from sales, marketing, people, product, customer success, partner operations, and so on. Uh, so uh, yeah, apply and uh, hope to get to know each other better here in the year to come. And also, I hope that you enjoyed this episode and also have taken a look at the backlog. We are now above 50 episodes, so there's a lot of things to listen to when you commute or train or when you are doing cleaning at home. Um, and we try to cover different topics, a lot of different exciting people out there. And uh, we are also very grateful that you spend your time listening to this show. Indeed we are. Take care now. See you all soon.